You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to What's New with Wired. It's Thursday, March 24th. Today we're talking about how founders and developers in Russia are scrambling for the exit, and the country's tech scene is taking a major hit. Before we get into today's top story, remember to check out our other Wired podcasts. Today in Wired Business, Europe's efforts to avoid Russian energy imports will likely trigger a short-term spike in coal, and environmentalists are concerned. Checking in on Wired Science, astronomers tried to confirm a signal from the birth of the first stars after the Big Bang. They saw nothing. Four years on, a new experiment sees no sign of cosmic dawn. And on Wired Security, lock down your account to tweet in peace or take the guardrails off to court controversy. How to limit who can contact you on Twitter. Listen to these stories and more at wired.com podcasts. Alex bought a one-way ticket out of Russia on February 21st, right after Vladimir Putin recognized the breakaway Ukrainian territories of Donetsk and Luhansk as independent states. A software developer working remotely for a European tech firm, Alex, who asked that his full name be withheld, says that was a sign that worse things were coming. I thought, Putin won't stop there, he says. He'd probably try to take Ukraine by force, which is, well, basically what happened. Confronted with the likelihood of crippling sanctions, a plummeting ruble, and a country turning aggressively inwards, Alex made it to the airport with his wife and hopped on a plane to Georgia, where he has some relatives. He was among the first Russian technology workers to make a run for neighboring countries at the outset of the Ukrainian war, but he soon realized he would by no means be the last. Over the past few weeks, throngs of fellow Russian techies have joined him in Tbilisi, making rents soar. The property market is empty. You can't find anything. And if you can, it will cost you three or two times more than it used to cost a month ago, he says. But for the time being, Alex's future is there. Going back to Russia scares him too much. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has precipitated a humanitarian crisis of unprecedented magnitude, with the displacement of more than 10 million Ukrainians fleeing their country, according to the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. But tens of thousands are also leaving Russia, worried that Putin's wartime regime will destroy their livelihoods, career prospects, and individual freedoms. Many members of this self-exiled crowd are technology workers. Because of their interconnectedness with the global digital economy, they were quick to feel the pain from sanctions and the departure of Western technology companies, and they have an easier time making a living from their laptops regardless of location. 
According to Rake, a Russian technology trade group, between 50,000 and 70,000 tech workers have already fled Russia, and 70,000 to 100,000 more could leave in April. With flights to the West canceled, they have wended their way to countries where Russian citizens can still travel visa-free. Konstantin Vinogradov, a Russian-born principal of London-based VC firm Runa Capital, has created a talent pool website and helps technology workers from Russia, Belarus, which is supporting Moscow's military maneuvers, and Ukraine to find suitable jobs elsewhere. Mostly, they are software engineers and data scientists. There are plenty of people from large Russian tech organizations like Yandex, VK, Sperbank, Vinogradov says. But there are plenty from smaller ones. He says that out of 2,000 people who have entered the pool, about 60% of them are currently located in Turkey, Armenia, or Georgia. A New York Times article says the Armenian government estimates that some 80,000 Russians have entered the country since the start of the war on February 24th, and 20,000 of them are still residing there. The Georgian Minister for Economic Affairs put that number at between 20,000 and 25,000, which he said was similar to 2020 figures. Many of these people plan to move elsewhere. 90% of the participants in Vinogradov's talent pool indicated the UK, Germany, and the Netherlands as their preferred final destinations. Vinogradov says that some of the Russian tech workers he has spoken to have left Russia because they are opposed to the war and to Putin on moral grounds. You can't ignore politics anymore, because it's not even about politics, it's about ethics, he says. But the descent of Russia to the status of global pariah has made it harder for technology workers to do their jobs. As companies including Microsoft, Intel, Apple, Netflix, and Meta's Facebook and Instagram have pulled out of or limited their services to Russia, or in some cases have been pushed out by Moscow itself, doing business as usual has grown harder by the day. Jakob Udadov, CEO of the Latvian team collaboration software company Bordio, employs five Russians, two of whom have relocated from the country so far. He says that he had to provide all his Russian-based staffers with VPNs to allow them to access some services and to make sure they'll be able to keep working in case Russia decides to heavily censor the Internet. Bordio has already had to adjust because it runs social media campaigns for European customers, and Udadov says Russian employees became unable to work on those projects after Facebook prevented all Russia-based accounts from posting ads on March 4th. On March 21st, a Russian judge declared that Facebook's parent company, Meta, was carrying out extremist activities. Paying Russian-based employees has also become harder due to Russia's exclusion from the international payment network SWIFT, Udadov says. We tried several banks before we found the one which sent the money through, he says. I'm not sure it's going to keep supporting these payments to Russia, and I'm not sure about April's paycheck. Udadov pays his staff in dollars, which has somewhat cushioned them from the financial toll of the ruble's 30% crash in value since the start of the war. If people worked at Russian search giant Yandex, their salary in dollar terms has dropped several times, and so have their options connected with Yandex's share price, Vinogradov says and they see their friends working in London or Silicon Valley doing the same kind of job, getting salaries that are 10 or even 15 times higher now. According to one Russian technology worker who has also left the country and who asked not to be named, such a brutal sudden hit on their livelihood is the last straw that convinced many Russian tech workers to pack it in. For a long time, there was this kind of balance where the state did horrible things, but if you didn't interact with it, if you didn't go into the areas where the state claimed dominance, you were more or less left alone. So we don't touch politics, they don't touch our money, we get to build our assets and live our lives, they say. By waging this war, they went into our sphere. They devalued our money, they devalued our assets, they made everything we invested in illiquid and cheap. That was a wake-up call. 
The ongoing crackdown on free speech, with Moscow going as far as outlawing calling the war a war, and the likely state capture of any remaining technology companies were also spurs for leaving, the tech worker says. When the Russian state turns militarist, bad things happen to Russians, they say. In 2019, the International Data Corporation estimated the value of the Russian IT industry at $24.8 billion. The sector employed 1.3 million people and accounted for 2.7% of the country's GDP, roughly as much as the energy supply sector. It is hard to gauge what impact the tech exodus will ultimately have. Even if startup founders and elite developers leave, big Russian tech companies such as Yandex, email provider Mail.ru, or social network VK might benefit from the disappearance of competitors and from providing replacements for technologies that are now unavailable because of Western sanctions. Those companies will also take advantage of an upsurge of laid-off tech workers who decide not to flee because of personal reasons, lack of language or coveted coding skills, or ideological alignment with the regime. Russia is a big country, a well-educated country, says Sergei Sonovich, a research associate at the Center for Information Technology Policy at Princeton. Those workers will be replaced by people who are less politically involved. The replacements will be less talented, less high-quality, and less oppositional. Putin's government has signaled that it regards technology workers as a strategic asset, and it has tried to stem exits by introducing new financial incentives for tech companies and announcing that IT workers would be exempt from conscription. Vinogradov says that, paradoxically, those promises had the opposite effect on some tech workers. They perceived that there would be a massive draft for the army and they needed to relocate immediately, he says. Exiting Russia is still possible, as long as one can find a flight, but press reports suggest that Russians who leave the country are facing aggressive questioning by border officials regarding their motives. Konstantin Sinyoshin is a Latvia-based tech investor who, in the early phases of the crisis, helped organize charter flights to Armenia for 300 Russian startup workers. He says that in the long run, Russia's tech sector will split into two parts, those happy to cater to the internal market, and those who will write letters to their friends who have left and constantly ask how to resettle abroad. Right now, those who have left are still working out what their future looks like. In Tbilisi, Alex says Russian tech workers have not really coalesced into a real community yet. People are still in a panic. We don't even have our savings anymore, and opening new bank accounts is hard, he says. When things become a little more calm, we'll probably have a proper community here, but not yet. Thanks for listening to Wired. Check back in tomorrow to hear more stories from Wired.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.